it, it's not the feeling itself, it's the meaning of the feeling. And, and often we get into these feedback loops, you know, if you're cold and, or you're really hot um, and you, you look for a solution to it environmentally and you can't find one, uh, then, then you suffer. Um, you suffer a frustrated will. You suffer an, an inability to escape something that, that's inescapable. Uh, but if you don't have that, then you don't suffer from the sensation. And, and most physical sensations, like most mental sensations, if you approach them from a certain perspective, they, they're very interesting. Um, they're, they're, very, yes. they're very beautiful. Welcome, beautiful thinkers. So today I'd like to present this interview I really like uh, I like this interview with a friend of mine who normally remains anonymous because he mainly I think he just doesn't like the the attention <laughs> doesn't want people to know his name or seek him out. So this is a, a monk, my monk friend who lives in Thailand and quietly practices, meditates and teaches meditation. He's so humble, he would probably never tell you this, but he is actually an expert in meditation. I noticed when I was there in the temple, uh, whenever somebody had a question for a nun or a head nun, a, mo- a head monk, about meditation, they would refer to my friend. So he's known to spend hours in, in meditation and even perhaps meditates in his dreams as I, <laughs> as I aspire to do. And it seems that he can give us some simple insight into the way that we perceive pain or the way that we suffer and how perhaps we could take a step back from that. As you listen, you might find that it's, it seems like such a simple thing that he's describing. And maybe it is. Maybe these things are available to all of us and they're not that difficult to attain if we just proceed in the correct manner. So, at the beginning of the interview, I, I was asking my monk friend, about challenges that he's had in his life. And that's where the interview begins. Just to give you a little warning, you might hear that you can you can notice some of the sounds of the temple there, so like cars driving past, birds tweeting, and even the odd temple bell. So I decided not to try to remove that or trying to mask it at all because well they are the the nice sounds there of the temple at times they might <laughs> they might interfere a little with it but uh, it's, it's I figured it's probably best to, to leave it in to preserve the the conversation so just letting you know but mostly the, the audio quality is very good and just to give you a little content warning, there is one point where my friend talks about sex and another point where he talks about drugs. So just in case you're listening with your family, something to be aware of. Let's begin.
So my life is, is difficult. Uh, re recently, uh, someone asked me to put together like a short bio um, to send out in, in a document. And uh, I said I would do it, so I tried to do it. And I, I, I tried to write it like four or five times. And I just, I just couldn't do it. Uh, it either uh, just slid uh, into satire uh, or when I just read over it, I'm like, this is this is just a bit ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> because, like, fundamentally, I've I've lived so many lives in parallel, and yes, al although there's a sort of a under uh, or, or an overarching theme, uh, some parts of them are so disparate. Uh, so yeah, so it's hard to it's hard to paint like a clear. Uh, picture. Uh, if I do just one angle of it, then it, it, it's distorted by the lack of stuff. Uh, yes. Because from some point of view, I've been a really bad person. Um, but mm. but hopefully, uh, that's balanced out by other things that I have done and that I do. Uh, but if I point out the good things that I've done, then it, it doesn't sit in the context. And, and also, it reads as being somewhat um, uh, self self absorbed or self involved, uh, hmm. and yeah, so it's really difficult. It's really difficult to talk about my life in in in, in a way that's kind of accurate. Uh, I can do little episodes, but uh, as a whole, those episodes don't really mean properly unless you have the whole, and you can't really create a whole. So uh, this is my yes, this is my dilemma. Uh, and in terms of a challenge, like, I don't know if my life has really operated like that. Uh, like, from the outside, maybe, um, people could point at certain challenges that, that I've had. Uh, but mm. to me, it, that hasn't really been the case. And, and every difficult situation that I've been in, I've walked into open-eyed or I've created it for myself. Or, uh, yeah, so... I mean, the analogy that I use with people when we're talking about life and about choices is the, the massive difference between uh, somebody who's shipwrecked and floating in the ocean and any direction they look, there is no land in sight. Uh, that situation is similar to a situation of somebody who's swum out into the ocean and they're floating in, in the middle of the ocean without land in sight, uh, but by, by choice. Um, Mm. So I, I've, I've never had a shipwreck in my life, um, I've, but I've been out in the deep ocean without, without land in sight, but it's never been, yeah, it's never, it's never been that kind of challenge, a challenge that has been sort of uh, imposed on me. So, um, and, and that, that's caused a lot of problems, <laughs> that's caused a lot of uh, uh, criticism of my life by, by some of my friends and people who, who are close to me, because... They, they feel like my difficulties are a little bit cheap uh, because I've always had like a massive safety net. Uh, but, but that safety net w was something that I created for myself with my own, uh, uh, I guess, my own perspective or my own approach to life. So, right. Well, some people are going to hear that and think that, that you're talking about like wealth, like you're, you're a wealthy man and you choose to live an unusual life. But that's not what you're talking about, is it? Well, well, I am a wealthy man, but not in terms of, uh, like, 
money, like I'm not financially yeah. wealthy, uh, but I have yes. I have a massive wealth of I don't know what you call it. Um, molten. Yeah, we'll use that word perspective. I guess that's that's part of it. Yeah, and and multiple tools of uh, I don't know what you call it without sounding clinical, but. Um, information processing or like yeah perspective I think would, would probably be the closest thing I uh, have a wealth yeah. of perspective can you give me an example of a situation that you were in where your perspective really well put things into perspective I suppose uh <laughs> Well, there's, a, there's an interesting one from recent times. So yeah. right now it's yep. it's unseasonably cold in Thailand. It's like oddly cold, mm-hmm. uh, hmm. but but it's not particularly cold in, in a global sense. Like cold here is like 16 degrees, uh, but yep. but we don't have warm weather clothing. Um, so all, all we're wearing is uh, you know like folded, un, un, um, unshaped pieces of cloth. Uh, so at, mm-hmm. at breakfast, when it when it hits eighteen or nineteen degrees, a whole bunch of people are wearing like woolly caps and this this warm sort of uh, you know semi warm weather clothing. Uh, but I don't really I don't really like to wear any of that stuff. Um, uh, so because I, I'm aiming for this sort of all terrain vehicle uh, comfort with any kind of uh, sensation uh, kind of life. Uh, so I'm just rolling around as usual in, in my usual robes and without my shoes. And uh, so I, I, I like to dress the same way in, in very hot temperatures. You know, here it gets to just under 40 degrees sometimes when we're walking around um, on Tudong. Mm-hmm. And when it's really cold, I like to dress, dress the same way. And uh, yesterday, one of the senior monks who finds me quite amusing, he walked past and he was laughing. He's like, uh, he said to me in Thai, uh, you, you don't feel anything. Uh, because, <laughs> because there I was just acting the same, you know, sweeping leaves early in the morning and everyone else has sort of retreated. Like when it gets really cold, people sort of wait till the sun comes out a little bit. Uh, but I was just doing everything as usual. And yeah, he sort of made this comment that apparently I, I don't feel anything. And, and I thought that was hilarious because uh, I guess in a sense, I'm, I'm, I'm negating that sensation or I'm cancelling out that sensation. Uh, for a long time now, I've tried to look at and, and, you know, I do spend a lot of time meditating inside my body and looking at physical sensation, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to uh, see that as information, you know, like a, like a massive dashboard inside of a cockpit. And I can see flashing lights and I can respond to those lights, hopefully skillfully, uh, but sometimes intentionally unskillfully. Uh, because, you know, un- unlike a, a machine, if, if you don't give your body a certain amount of fuel, it will become more efficient in its fuel use and its fuel intake. Uh, so I'm often forcing my body to, to adapt as much as possible. Uh, so yeah, so in that way, when I have sensations like extreme cold or extreme heat or, or pain, and I'm in quite a bit of physical pain um, most days from, from old injuries from a sort of crazy lifestyle. Uh, but yeah, so all of those things allow me to have this kind of uh, ease and, and a comfort uh, irrespective of circumstances or irrespective of outcomes that, that's one of the aims of 
of a whole bunch of these perspectives which maybe people would call spiritual practice or something like this but uh, to me it's just about yeah like ease and and um, and uh, freedom uh, freedom from physical circumstances freedom from uh, environmental um, outcomes and this kind of thing so maybe that gives you a sense of what I mean by a wealth of uh, perspective. Uh, yes. Well, I know <laughs> this is one idea that's helped for me when uh, I try to ex- when I have to experience the cold. I mean, it doesn't get very cold here in Guadalajara either. Like six- sixteen degrees would probably be about the lowest here as well. Uh, but there was that uh, this TV show called the OA, and in one of the episodes. This uh, the the main character, this Russian girl. Uh, she she's like, I'm just so afraid of the, the the cold. I'm so afraid of the water. And her father, this gangster, like puts her under the ice and says, "What's the only way to handle the cold?" And she says, "Well, you have to be colder than it is." And that's <laughs> that's something I think about when it when I start to feel the cold. What do you, uh, like, is that something similar to how your mind works or how would you, how, how does it work? Uh, well, okay, so there's a whole bunch of different ways to approach it. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's, a, there's a famous Sufi story. Uh, it, it's about so, some Sufi is challenged um, because he's sort of commenting against the, uh, I guess, the the religious and political elite of his time. Uh, and they challenge him to show them mm-hmm. uh, some kind of, uh, you know, so-called superior or higher knowledge or, or wisdom or something. And he says, well, I don't know how to do that. Why don't you, why don't you propose a challenge? And so they, the, the challenge they come up with is that he's supposed to spend an entire night um, on the top of a building uh, without any uh, warm clothes or any provisions or anything. And uh, that's the kind of thing that would kill a, kill a normal person. And uh, so uh, he go, he's very happy to do this. He, he goes up to the roof and then in the morning they, they come to, you know, uh, find what they imagine to be his, his corpse. Uh, and he's there and he's pulled a boulder out of the wall and he's just pushing it around. And so his body is covered in sweat and he's, he's really, really hot from the physical exertion of, of pushing this boulder. Uh, and then he, he just laughs and he says, this isn't any kind of higher uh, wisdom, you know, like, so the challenge that you've given me to show you higher wisdom isn't a challenge of higher wisdom at all. It's just a basic understanding of cause and effect. Uh, and there's a, whole mm. bunch of, there's a whole bunch of ways of interpreting the story. And I remember uh, seeing a documentary and reading a few articles about a famous dancer. Uh, she was like a, an African-American uh, um, in the mid, mid part of last century, I think. And uh, she had this really, really crazy, energetic style of dancing. And somebody asked her where she learned to dance like this. And she said, well, when she was growing up, they didn't have a heater. So that was just how she moved her body to, uh, to heat it up uh, so that she didn't mm. feel cold. And so there are, there are all these different levels that you can approach these things. There's the physical level um, in which if you just sort of use your muscles in a certain way... Um, uh, a bit of a tangent um, some, sometimes when we have to sit a long time you know if we have a ceremony or something we have to sit um, in one place for like four or five hours uh, without moving and, 
and after a while people who aren't used to sitting very well they get pain in their legs and their feet uh, go numb and this kind of thing and so they start shifting around it it doesn't look so good uh, in, in, in terms of uh, a ritual or, or whatever uh, but there are easy ways to combat this and, and one of the ways is by um, doing a kind of systematic clenching of your muscles uh, a bit similar to what ah. a- astronauts and, and jet uh, pilots do when, when they're under, undergoing G-forces uh, there, there's a sort of manual way to pump blood around your body by, by clenching your muscles uh, and so, so this is a physical way of approaching this situation um, you can just clench your muscles in a certain way that pushes the blood around you can move heat around your body physically uh, but also you can just do it by, um, by awareness uh, if, you, if you put your mind in certain parts of your body uh, it, it will sort of, by various feedback mechanisms, move more blood and, and, and uh, more central nervous system awareness, I would call it, to different parts of your body. So uh, you, can do it, you can do the same thing internally, just through a really intense uh, imagination or visualization or uh, like somatic feedback. Um, you know, if your hands are cold and you put heaps of attention into your hands, uh, your hands will heat up. Uh, so, like, if you if you're really cold, if you're outside somewhere and, and you feel really cold and your hands are going cold and stiff, if you just touch something and really, really pay attention to the sensate, the fine tactile sensation of touch, a whole bunch of blood will go to your hands and your hands will warm up. Um, mm. Well, th- this is something I've noticed recently. I'm practicing hatha yoga. Like uh, the instructor will say, like, fe- feel into or put push your breath into this stretch like when you're stretching the legs or whatever it is and it does seem like well it's it's a you know in the yoga tradition they'll call they'll call it prana i suppose uh like you're directing the energy of your breath to that point in your body and on the 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 physical level it's like your your blood is flowing there uh and it's a really it's an interesting sensation and quite powerful though subtle Yeah, so uh, at, at the end of the day, all, all of this stuff is, in a sense, information that, you know, like, like a, a massive, uh, like a, a massive display, you have all of these readouts, you have all of this information coming in um, from your various senses. And that one perspective uh, is that this is just purely information and one of the classical ways of looking at suffering is that it's not it's not the stimulus itself it's not the information but it's the way we interpret this information that causes suffering so uh, hmm. um, yeah like if if somebody was to be in a state of uh, like numbness like some medical condition that they felt numbness in their hands for you know X number of months if all of a sudden something were to happen and they felt crippling cold in their hands, that would make them feel joy. Um, <laughs> right. You know? <laughs> you know, so, so uh, this, this, it, 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 it's not the feeling itself, it's the meaning of the feeling. And, and often we get into these feedback loops, you know, if you're cold and, or you're really hot um, and you, you look for a solution to it environmentally and you can't find one, uh, then, then you suffer. Um, you suffer a frustrated will. You suffer an, an inability to escape something that, that's inescapable. 
Uh, but if you don't have that, then you don't suffer from the sensation. And, and most physical sensations, like most mental sensations, if you approach them from a certain perspective, they, they're very interesting. Um, they're, they're, very, yes. they're very beautiful. Uh, but but it, you just need this sort of perspective so that you can shift out of the automatic thing. Um, I, got, I got in trouble one time. Uh, I was talking about meditation to a bunch of kids, uh, and they asked about this thing of what to do when, uh, when your legs get sore, because in, in some traditions you're not supposed to move at all. Uh, and and when, when I suggested to them that they, they analyze that sensation and try and work out uh, why they think it's pain... Um, they they just gave me this blank look like I was like sprouting some kind of gibberish, uh, because to th- <laughs> because to them obviously pain is pain like it, you you know it as pain, um, but uh, excuse me because I'm not really supposed to talk about topics like this but um, uh, okay. so please forgive me but uh, I remember the first time I had an orgasm, and and the the sensation the physical sensation of it was so intense. I had this sort of is this pain like I hadn't had such a hmm. such an overwhelming physical sensation really before in my life up, up until that point and there was some part of me that up until that point had associated physical overwhelm with pain uh, because you don't generally have physical overwhelm from pleasure and so it, it took right. it took a little while to analyze that that experience and, and to to understand the pleasure of it and and again excuse me for talking about um uh maybe subjects that are a bit un- unpleasant to talk about but the first few times i injected heroin um i had no i had no idea what the so-called rush was uh because in the rush of it you you just kind of your consciousness disappears uh it's yeah like you just disappear and and then when when, right. when you come out of the rush you come back and you you come back to this sort of uh, very euphoric um un- untouchable kind of state but it wasn't until I discussed that experience with other people that I realized what this rush was um, because it was, it was just the overwhelm of, like, um, of a kind of conscious absence. Mm. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, all, all of these things, they require a context uh, in, in order for us to, to process them. And, and so, yeah, if you have a, if you have a whole bunch of different ways of interpreting and, and processing the, these experiences, if you have a variety of perspectives you can, uh, can approach them with, then um, yeah, you, you have this kind of, the, the kind of wealth that can't be taken away, is how they describe it. Right. Yes. So how do you begin to gain these, these perspectives? Is it just as simple as beginning to ask the question, like, how else can I look at this or how, what else might this mean? How to start? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it's been so long since you started. You maybe you've you've forgotten how. <laughs> well, it, I, I think it depends on on the individual. Like you have uh-huh. cert, you have certain things that that you're drawn to, or that that um, that hold your that hold your joy. Um, uh, I rem- I remember I forgot who said it, but there's a, a beautiful quote that. Um, talent just means the love of a thing, um, you know. Right. Because because if you really love to do something, then you will do it, and you'll do it over and over. You'll do it as much as you can, and you'll naturally develop in that thing. So you know, if you have a love of drawing, 
then you will be, a, from other people's point of view, you will be a talented uh, graphical artist. But for you, you're just doing something that you love. Like the talent, talent is not really a thing. Um, so uh, I, I remember when I was young, uh, I read a quote by Franz Kafka. He said that uh, writing is a form of suffering that uh, liberates you from other forms of suffering. Uh, and, and I thought that was such a beautiful idea. And, and uh, I found a similar thing in music. Like if you feel really sad and you transform that sadness into beautiful music, uh, you're kind of freed from wanting to escape sadness. Uh, so so there, there are just all of these little natural transforms that happen in, in your life. Um, um, my dad, uh, he had to work a job that he really didn't like and uh, he found uh, his uh, workmates very uncouth and unsophisticated and um, he had real trouble in this job. Uh, but um, he just took the idea that he was doing it for his children and for his family and that made that experience of work... Uh, enjoyable uh, he could transform what what he wanted in, in, into something that was a kind of a sacrifice or, or a gift to, to people that he loved and uh, this was a way of transforming his experience so um, I think it depends on the individual like what what a person loves to do that, that that will be the gateway into changing their perspective because you know if you have something like uh, like writing or music or yeah some kind of art form, uh, yeah, you can you can start accessing these perspectives on transformation. Um, there, there was a time in my life where I was very romantic, um, you know, in a colloquial sense, and uh, I was busy chasing. <laughs> sure. uh, I was busy chasing these uh, beautiful, glorious uh, creatures around, um, but I didn't yeah. I didn't mind being rejected whatsoever because. Uh, that I, I transformed that rejection into music. Uh, and, yeah, and so in that way I was kind of saved from, like, heartbreak wasn't, uh, it wasn't something to try and avoid. Like, rejection wasn't something to try and avoid because I had a way of processing that uh, experience. Uh, I, was, I was talking to someone recently about guilt. Uh, they did something that made them feel very, very guilty. Uh, and uh, so that, you know, we just had this discussion about guilt. And I pointed out that, uh, that uh, Catholics use guilt a lot. And uh, from the outside, this seems like a crazy thing. Like, why would you want to feel guilty for just existing? You know, have, you have this idea in Catholicism of uh, original sin and that we're all born sinners. And it sounds kind of terrible. Uh, and, and it is. Uh, unless you use that guilt as you put that guilt into an engine that transforms that guilt into love. So as a Catholic, you feel guilty and like you're a terrible, sinful creature, but God loves you anyway. Uh, and in that you are loved... You even go to confessional. And- yeah, there, there's a whole bunch of ways that you use this guilt as fuel inside of your religion or inside of your spiritual practice or your daily life or whatever. And uh, hmm. guilt is awesome because it's an inexhaustible fuel um you know if you take on that perspective of being you can feel guilty whenever you want you can feel guilt you know you can feel incredible amounts of guilt uh yeah freely at any time anytime you like you can create a massive lump of guilt (laughs) and 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 put that massive lump of guilt into this engine of of your life and and love pours out of the other side of it so uh 
but yeah, these are just perspectives. Um, and uh, yeah. But if you look at that, like in terms of efficiency, I would have to wonder, like maybe there's a better way to do it rather than suffering through all this guilt. Or is it, would you say it's just it's just a different way of doing things? Yeah. Again, I don't know if you need to suffer this guilt. Um, right. I think, I think you can just. I think you can just make a lump of it and transform it, like uh, immediately. Um, you you wow. can you can feel guilt and love simultaneously. Uh, right. And and uh, so one of the easiest ways to transform. Sorry, I spent a lot of time with some catholics and so like catholic monks and uh, so this stuff is really interesting because uh people don't really talk about it so much in terms of the the practice the practice of uh christianity uh hmm. but you can immediately transform guilt into a sense of gratitude um you know uh one of the big problems of modern culture is this idea of entitlement and uh yes. entitlement is a kind of poison and yeah. So if you if you take a if you take a starting point of guilt and unworthiness, then you can immediately transform that into gratitude, because anything that you have you don't really deserve. Um, anything that you have is above and beyond anything that you could legitimately feel entitled to. So you can immediately transform guilt into gratitude and gratitude into love. Um, yeah, it's oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, I, I've often wondered about that because they have that ritual in Catholicism where they say, "I am not worthy." Uh, it's, it comes from that that passage where the Roman soldier says, oh, um, "Jesus Christ, I'm not worthy to have you to receive you in my home." And I thought it's so strange how they would repeat that as a ritual, uh, which seemed to me like just this offhand comment of this Roman soldier thousands of years ago. But uh, having, yeah, putting it into that context like that, it ma- it makes uh, so much more sense. And I do see that there's a spiritual element to that. Are you still there? Uh, yeah, I am. Sorry, I'm very good with silence. We like <laughs> we, okay. can, we can sit here in silence. <laughs> I'm not quite as good as you. <laughs> uh, my my dad, uh, he he likes to call me, uh, you know, uh, every, a couple of times a week, and we sort of t- talk. And uh, earlier in my life, when I was a little bit more uh, full of uh, vim and vinegar. Uh, I used to criticize my dad a lot uh, about just sort of nattering away. I was n- never one for chit-chat or, or uh, uh, un- unproductive uh, speech. Uh, and, and my dad loves it. He, 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 he likes to fill uh, every, every uh, moment he can with some kind of energy back and forth in the form of words. And, uh, and yeah, so I, I didn't really like it when I was young uh, because I felt it was wasteful. Uh, but then when I started, when I got this uh, uh, perspective on it, that it's just a, a exchange of energy. And, you know, my dad loves me, so he just wants to sort of, it's like throwing a ball uh, back and forth. You, you don't need to play a game. You don't need to make it into some big deal. You can just throw a ball uh, back and forth and it's it's fun. You know, you're connecting with another person. 
Uh, and so I understand now. So we can just sort of talk and, and, and say silly things. And uh, even though it's a little bit against the rules um, of, of my lifestyle, uh, I, can do, I can do it as an act of generosity. Uh, uh, but also uh, uh, we often just lapse into periods of silence. And, you know, my dad's a, a meditator and a philosopher and stuff. So uh, often our phone calls will just sort of lapse into this meditative silence and we'll just sort of sit there with the other person on the other end of the line just hearing ambience from the other space and yeah we'll just sit there until uh he, he has something to do and they'll be like okay thank you bye uh so we have these massive <laughs> we'll have these massive blocks of like 20 minutes of just silence uh it's um yeah and maybe hopefully a deep deeper level of energy exchange like me and my dad don't need to necessarily throw a ball uh back and forth to each other anymore hmm uh, you mentioned Tudong before, the, the pilgrimage that uh, monks of your order take around the uh, the country. Do you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so it, it's like many things from my temple, it's, it's a kind of reformation of a, a practice. Uh, so there was a classical approach to Tudong. It's a it's a deformation of a, a Pali word that means to shake off uh, problems or to shake off def- defilements. And so there were these 13 classical uh, techniques that monks would do uh, that are all very aesthetic. It was like the, the Buddha wanted to put a limit on aesthetic practice because he didn't want people to go, you know, to go mental with their aesthetic practices. So he's like, well, if you want to practice aesthetically, you can do these, these things. And so they were fundamental things like uh, eating once a day, uh, wearing robes that were made from uh, rags from a, a crematorium or uh, rubbish piles. Um, when you're going for arms round to take food from every single house, uh, like or beg from every single house in a row, because uh, often monks would sort of make these tacit agreements with lay people, and so they would know which houses were happy to give them food, and so they could just go and go to the houses where they were acceptable. Uh, but in this practice, you have to go to every door, and and when you do that, you, you get a lot of uh, grief from people. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, yeah, some people are very happy, but but a lot of people like to give you their opinions and tell you that you're wasting your life and that you're a drain on on culture and stuff. Um, right. Yes, so that was a really good uh, practice for humility, and 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 yeah. So anyway, we have these thirteen fundamental practices, and. Um, so one of the founders of our temple, uh, uh, with his teacher, they created this system. So we do that kind of thing, but sort of compressed down. So, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we spend a certain period of time every year out, outside of the temple or outside of buildings. We, we, take a, we take a vow not to go under any fixed roof. Uh, and, yeah, we just sort of wander around and, and, and pitch a camp. It's weird. The, the first year I did it, it was like, it was like a musical tour. Uh, but without any kind, without the music, you know, we, we we would go to a site and we would set up our camp and we would sit there for a little bit and then the next day we'd pack up and go. But um, there wasn't a performance or anything. We, we were just moving around. It's like a tour without the purpose of the tour. Uh, but it's really, really difficult uh, because you have to walk in line. Um, and you, so you kind of have to go uh, with uh, at the pace of the leader. And as we're walking along, the line will stretch out. So the people who are really slow, 
they don't get the break periods that everyone else gets because the leader will stop somewhere and, and, and sit for a little while and rest. But as, as he's resting, the, the back end is still catching up. And then finally, when they reach the rest spot, uh, the group is already moving again. So the people who kind of need the most rest because uh, they're old or infirm or whatever, they get the least rest. Uh, and they will, they, uh, they will set it up just to cause problems for us. Uh, one time we, were, we walked for a day and we were sitting around in this field. There's a beautiful field. We sat there for a few hours, but, you know, we, we still need to get to our final destination and, and set up our, our umbrellas and stuff. And we were sitting there and, you know, everyone would sort of go after an hour or so and sort of look at, at the, the head monk who's leading this thing. And he would just sort of cheerfully just sit there and grin back at everybody. And he, he would get up and everyone would be like, okay, we're moving. And people would start putting their stuff together. And then, then the court would be like, oh, no, no, he's just going to the bathroom. And he would sit down again and uh, he, then he would stand up and he would kind of look at the sky and there were storm clouds coming. And he, he, so he would stand up because uh, he's sitting under a tree. He would stand up, um, get out of the shade of the tree and look up at the sky and he was judging the approach of this storm. Uh, then he sat back down again and then finally it was time to move. We got up and we walked literally 200 meters down the street that that's where we were camping for the night and it was in this dusty horrible car park we went from this beautiful field to this dusty horrible sort of like car park kind of empty field structure and just as we arrived which is probably the worst possible time for the rain to come because you're not like you your stuff is out so you know when it's when it's packed up it's sort of rainproof and when everything is set up you set up tarpaulins and stuff so it's rainproof but trying to trying to pitch your umbrellas in the rain is really really difficult so just as like five minutes after we arrived he timed it perfectly it started pouring down rain and we all got drenched all our stuff got drenched everything got drenched and uh, a whole bunch of people were really angry uh because this is, uh, especially westerners coming from a certain background like um uh, westerners when they camp when we camp i should say i'm i'm sort of a westerner uh the idea is to try and make things as as comfortable and convenient as possible you're going out into circumstances where it's less convenient than your house or whatever but you still try and bring things along to make it you know pleasant and comfortable and and sort of bring this this cloud of of civilization out into the into nature uh, but ours is the opposite we're trying to make it uncomfortable we're trying to make it we're, we're trying like not difficult for the sake of difficulty but we put ourselves under this kind of strain you know w- walking through the hottest part of the the year um, not knowing how far we, we have to walk, not knowing what kind of setup we're going to face when we arrive at a place, and um, you know, not having a fully closed tent, just having this umbrella with a mosquito net and uh, and sheets of plastic, and and so it's really just designed to, yeah, to see how you are. C- can you maintain your balance inside of very awkward circumstances? Uh, can you enjoy yourself um, <laughs> when, when you don't have any of the <laughs> amenity? You can't you can't go under a roof. Uh, and yeah, so that, that, that's too long. Um, but again, this is just one perspective. Um, uh, everyone brings their own pers- perspective to it. And uh, f- yeah, for some people, it's just, uh, um, yeah, it's just something to ensure that you don't get complacent in, in your daily life. You know, you go and shake things up so that you, you can come back to the temple and um, yeah, not, not take things for granted because you've just experienced what it's like not, you know, not to have anything, not to have um, your basic, right. uh, yeah, basic amenities and such yes well I, I do remember talking to pra adrian about too long and he he 
I guess he emphasized it or he made a big deal or he said to us, well, that is it's so tough out there going, going through all those tribulations and those experiences. And he, he said, well, I just think it, like if I can get through that, then, you know, the rest of life, like eating once a day seems like not such a big deal. But I remember talking to you about it and you were like, yeah, Tudong, it's, you know, it's fun. <laughs> Yeah, well it, well, it really is. It really is fun. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but from that other perspective, uh, you know, one of my favorite lines from Hollywood ever uh, is, is, if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a dodgeball. And, <laughs> and I, th I think that is really yeah. quite a pr profound philosophy. And yeah, so uh, <laughs> when you have a chance, you, you make things difficult for yourself. Um, Uh, but, you know, in a way that promotes growth, you know, there's a, there's a difference between, um, you know, for example, lifting weights in a gym uh, in such a way that you build strength and, and like bone density and stuff. And then you can lift weights in a way that that damages your body. Uh, yeah. So when we're not looking to cause damage, uh, we're, we're looking to cause, um, yeah, a, a adaptation and uh, this thing. uh Uh, I guess it's translated as perseverance, or okay, yeah, perseverance. I think you know, you're, you're thinking of a Thai word. I'm thinking of a Pali word. Okay, what is it? Kanti. Kanti. Patient, to like tolerance, perseverance, this kind of thing. It's 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 one of the uh, the attributes they say is necessary for success in anything. Yeah, don't don't give up. Well, Keep that, going. That's right. About the like you said, put put yourself in this experience where it'll actually make you stronger or more more fit or more you know whatever it is. Uh, but don't some people in this environment with the rain coming down, mosquitoes? Don't people get sick? Yep. People sick. get sick. <laughs> People get sick. Uh, a couple of two. We we didn't walk last year because of the the pandemic situation. Uh, so we we just uh, we just set up uh, at the far end of the temple grounds because uh, we didn't we didn't sort of want to set a bad example for for people who are supposed to be in lockdown. Uh, but the but the year before the, the no three years ago uh, one one of the nuns from our section she's really old. Um, she had a heart attack uh, while we were walking, and uh, yeah, like the sometimes people have s sort of serious uh, m medical situations arise uh, while we're out. Uh, but uh, it's one of the weird things about Thai culture. So I, I investigated this heart attack a little bit, and uh, I think she kind of she kind of planned to to have a heart attack, um, like. Uh, Again, maybe this is one of the uh, the negative sides to certain kinds of faith, uh, but apparently it's really good to die on Tudong. Um, ah, okay. And so, if you, if you're an old person in our community, that's it, kind of one of the the good good times to to get out. Uh, yeah. So she she secretly surreptitiously stopped taking her heart medication. Like she said, it was an accident. Like she forgot. Uh, 
but mm. if you take a if you take a medication every day for years and years and years um you you can't forget to take it like you know just just ac- accidentally it's it, it slips your mind um that yes, yes. that <laughs> that just seems very very implausible to me uh so so insofar as i can you know analyze that situation i'm pretty sure that this uh this elderly nun had decided that she didn't really want to hang around anymore and you're not really allowed to um commit suicide uh but you are allowed to walk in the heat mm. and i guess you're allowed to forget your medication although i'm not sure um if you had to argue your case you know in front of st peter or something um yeah, I don't, I don't think you could disavow suicide if you stop taking the medication that stops you from getting heart attacks. I, th- I think that's a passive form of, uh, of, of suicide. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure how loyally the rules of karma and stuff are, but I, I, don't think you're allowed, I don't think you're allowed to argue in that way with the universe. I don't think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't think uh, that would the- fly. The nun survived, I take it. <laughs> she did. Uh, yeah, they they threw her in in, um, in the back of a, a a van or something and took her to hospital. And yeah, she was okay. Um, yeah, she, she's still around now, causing problems. And um, <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, she's she's quite grumpy. Although uh, she does have a wicked sense of humour. But yeah, she she is full of the the um, yeah the the grump of the elderly. And you know, fair enough. Difficult. Yeah. Why is it that the Buddha wanted to put limits on asceticism? Uh, I, well, I can give you my interpretation. I'm not sure if there's a clear answer to that. Sure. Uh, so he, he started off doing um, very, very intense ascetic practices, and um, he he, des- he described a, a period where he cut down the amount of food that he was taking until he was taking like one grain of rice um, every couple of days or I think he got down to one grain of rice every week or something and his body was just messed up um, like he could touch his he could touch his spine through his the front front of his abdomen and uh, right. all of the hair of his body was falling off and you know he almost died through the intensity of his uh, ascetic practice and um, that was when you know the famous story of him hearing a musician, teaching uh his student how to tune uh a string instrument and you know if you if you if you if you tighten the string too much it will snap but if you don't tighten it enough it won't play well so this is the idea of the middle way like you you're not you're not being overly ascetic but you're not being uh indulgent you're trying to find um yeah this balance between um yeah too hard and too soft uh and, and back in the day uh, at the Buddha's time, and still to this day in India, um, you have uh, people who are ridiculously ascetic. Um, they will, you know, they'll, they will destroy their bodies um, through certain kinds of so-called spiritual practice. But, um, yeah, the Buddha didn't really see a point to this. He went through it, and he didn't get any uh, incredible benefits. He got more benefits from, um, yeah, like taking care of his body but not indulging his body. And so this is the kind of thing that he wanted to encourage. But um, at the same time, these things can creep in. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, it's funny when, when you cut off a whole bunch of things, the things that start to sort of draw your attention. Uh, one of the monks here, after he ordained, uh, he got really interested in the color of his robes. 
and he kept dyeing his robes all these different colors. He wanted to find the perfect color for his robes. Uh, and one day he even pointed out to me, I think I've gotten a little bit obsessed with, um, you know, with my robes. And I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe you should look at that. Um, but in that he brought it up with me obviously he had looked at it and uh he was enjoying himself too much to to put it aside uh yeah yeah, it's funny you know as soon as you cut off a whole bunch of things it's like well what do you have left to play with and you end up indulging in in those little things you know whatever is left uh yeah so these practices are a way of doing it but you can even do it the, the 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 reverse way like my my favorite lower robe is a garbage pile robe um, th- these days it's really it's kind of hard to find robes like we're not allowed to raid crematoriums anymore <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so yeah my favourite lower robe is a, a disgusting piece of cloth I found on a rubbish heap uh, but so for a monk this is like high status monk clothing uh, you know, it's like official traditional uh, monk robes and so this is my favourite robe um but, but I shouldn't have a favorite robe. This is a kind of indulgence. Um, but I like it. I, I like it because, it, yeah, to me it's hilarious. I, I have these uh, sort of, uh, you know, not real plans, but fantasy plans of doing like a, uh, a YouTube, you know, people show their favorite clothes. <laughs> I was going to go through my robes and show my favorite robes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, like MTV Cribs or something. They come in and you yeah. show off your garbage pile robes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but this is the danger, and, and you know, so all of these things, the, the these aesthetic practices are way are ways of cutting off your attachment to these things. You know, like if you, you know, because some robes are really uh, like the, the material is really nice. Uh, if you, you know, like it's it, it's pleasant to wear, uh, and uh, yeah, so there were there were certain people back in the Buddhist time who they wore really rough robes um, but n- not as a kind of virtue signaling or something like this they just wore rough robes to get over caring about the feeling of their robes um, there's a practice of sl- not sleeping in buildings and, and that just gets rid of this attachment to sleeping in comfortable uh, situations and so yeah so all of these things are you know did, um, not uh, eating your, your food the way like uh, mixing everything all together in a bowl uh, it gets rid of this attachment to the taste of food. Uh, so all of these things are designed to just sort of shake you out of this uh, com- complacent way of maybe not realizing how much you are unnecessarily putting value into things which fundamentally uh, d- or uh, un- don't necessarily have to have value. Uh, yeah, which is, which is not to say that people who aren't you know, living this particular lifestyle shouldn't enjoy their food or shouldn't enjoy their clothes or blah, 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 blah. It's just if you, if you want to cut away a bunch of attachments, then this is a really good way to do it. Um, yeah, it's not, a, it's not a blanket universal thing, uh, which is why there are limits on it. And um, yeah, there are limits in terms of time. There are limits in terms of uh, yeah, when, when they're appropriate or applicable. Okay. Uh, here's here's another question for you. I, I remember mentioning to you how I was making some some kind of progress, so to speak, in my meditation, like gaining uh, new consistent levels of happiness. And you said to me something like, "Well, uh, that's great." And uh, you said something like, "Happiness is kind of just a, a thing to do." 
or something like that. Do you remember saying that? Uh, n- not exactly. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe I misremembered. Do you remember? You remember that conversation? Uh, no, the, the way my memory works, I needed different kind of cue. Like, where were we? What was the sure. circumstance? Blah blah blah. Uh, uh, I- we were talking over over Facebook Messenger, so there's <laughs> not good, not too much context in that uh, in that sense there. But I guess my 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 greater question is, uh, what is the what's the the purpose or or what do you expect to gain or experience through meditation? M- me personally, yeah, N- nothing. Right. Uh, yeah. So to try and interpret um, the 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 possibly misquoted earlier version of myself. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So like happiness is great, and like when you're doing these things, like we're not doing them for um, you know to, to to not to have an <laughs> an unpleasant uh, time in in our life. Uh, happiness is a great thing to aim at, um, but it's not. It's not the goal. It's not the goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like often, I use the analogy of stretching. Like if someone wants to to be able to touch their toes or put their, you know, have their legs straight and put and bend forward and put their hands on the ground. Uh, that that's great. That's something to aim at. And if you don't have something to aim at, like touching your toes, you can't really perform the stretch well. Uh, but you're aiming to increase. Hopefully, you're aiming to increase your flexibility. Touching your toes is mm-hmm. is the aim, but it's not the goal. Um, it's just an expedient way of setting up a mechanism for your stretching. And so, but by my way of thinking, happiness is like this. Um, if you practice well and, and you know, you, you do good things, you're kind to other people and uh, you help other people, you get the, these sort of positive feedback loops happening in your life. You, you write something and you read over it and you find that it has quality or you, you make something that has quality, you, you feel happy. Uh, but but that that to me is not so useful. It's not a useful goal because that happiness is transient. Uh, mm-hmm. And in in the in modern culture, uh, a lot of the time, what we're trying to do is just line up a whole bunch of happinesses one after the other and try and sort of have no gap in between them. So we can sort of like Tarzan swinging along from vine to vine. We can just go from one happy, pleasant experience to the next. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is really really unstable. Uh, because f- fundamentally there isn't much that you can rely on in terms of experience like that. Uh, after a while you'll just run out of um, vines to take hold of or your body will decay or a relationship will decay outside of your control or um, you know, some death will happen or illness will happen, all of these things that are fundamental parts of this kind of existence. So uh, if your aim is for happiness, that that's still quite unstable. Uh, but... Uh, in, so through these so-called spiritual practices or whatever, we're not trying to create experiences. Like, y- you can. Hmm. You can create a, a, a state of happiness. It's quite easy to do. Uh, but what we're trying to do is reorient the way we look at experience. Um, and so if you can do that, then, y- you know, it's like the experience of your experience or the experience of your experience of experience. And, and if you do this kind of um, kind of differential calculus, uh, you, you will end up at a state that's absolutely stable. 
uh, because no matter what happens inside of your experience, your experience of your experience or your experience of that experience of experience um, is is unwavering. Uh, and, and in that stability, you can find this thing that, you know, um, that I would describe as uh, actual contentment or actual peace. Um, it's not... It's not uh, it's not reliant on circumstances or it's not reliant on some emotional experience or some mental experience. It's just a, a kind of... Mm, I, I want to say joy of experience, but it's not even that because the, the idea of that experience ending or experience itself ending uh, doesn't detract from the stability of this perspective. Um, it, so that to me, is that's my personal idea of, of absolute freedom. Right. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> that's uh, that's fascinating, and possibly but, practical. But, yeah. but what what about you? Uh, <laughs> I don't like talking about myself <laughs> so much. Um, yeah. So what, what's, what's your experience <laughs> in meditation? And like, what what to you? It would like, what is your goal of of meditation? And you know, these other things. Like, you you do so much in your life. Your life is very full. It's you're aiming at development in a whole bunch of ways. Like, what is the end goal of these things? Yeah, that's that's a it's an interesting question. Like, I, it it is like kind of kind of like what you said with the stretching. Well, like, what if you could just you know enjoy the stretching and it doesn't matter if you <laughs> it doesn't quite matter if you you finally put your palms on the floor or not it's just the the, the moment the process what 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 is ongoing we're trying to see a special part of of that and yeah i guess i guess that's it just to Enjoy whatever's happening in some sense. Hmm. And and is that the same aim that you have for in in meditation? I think so. Yes. Uh, like there. Yeah. There are certain techniques. I've been using this app, "Waking Up" by Sam Harris. You know the neuroscientist. Mm-hmm. And he. Uh, the one technique or one theme that that he keeps going back to is like notice that everything that's happening is actually happening within consciousness, and that's that's always there, which kind of ties into what you're what you're describing there, and yeah, so I I, I try to do that. I try to notice that I am experiencing things and notice that I'm having thoughts, be aware of my own awareness. Also, I think about, well, I took that, uh, that one day sort of seminar from the, uh, Cedar yoga school. And the, the theme of the, uh, of the, this, Shaktipan intensive was who are you and they they gave this spiritual discourse or spiritual instruction talking about lessons from the Vedas and things and they have the they have this quote from one of the Vedas which is thou art that like you are this 
<laughs> well, I'm still not entirely sure I understand what it means, but it is like you you are the the seed of consciousness. That's my my humble interpretation of it. And I wonder if I can not identify with anything that I see, not identify with my experience exactly or not too closely or my body or my works or anything like that, but identify somehow as, as the consciousness itself. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. So there, there are a few things. Uh, yeah. So there, there, there's this pair of apparently opposite uh, perspectives. Uh, one perspective hmm. Uh, comes from yeah this idea that that uh, you are that uh, and so uh, yeah every, anything that you can perceive or anything that you can uh, conceive of uh, is is you it's within your experience um, hmm. and then you have the the apparently opposite kind of practice which is that nothing is you um, any anything that you can any anything that you can create an object out of uh, is not you. You are the subject, subject, and not the objects. Uh, hmm. And if you if you practice any of these, you will uh, you will fundamentally break your uh, your default position of being an uh, an individual uh, separated being. Um, hmm. Because yeah, you're not any of these things. You're not your body. You're not your thoughts. You're not your emotions. You're not your memories. Blah blah. blah. So there is this question um, that that people use. Uh, in in meditation or just generally contemplatively, which is which is who am I? Uh, and yeah, so one one answer is that you're none of this stuff, and the other answer is that you're all of this stuff, uh, and both both of them lead to the same kind of uh, realization, which is that um, yeah, there isn't a, there isn't a limitation uh, in in terms of being. Being is absolute. Uh, well, I mean, it's it's interesting. So, uh, Ramana Maharishi, a famous sage from I think last century, start of last century. Uh, yeah, he, this this was his fundamental technique that he gave all of his uh, uh, disciples to, to just sit there and think, "Who am I? Who am I?" And uh, um, when when you analyze this question, uh, you, you start looking at like the root of your thoughts. Like, wh- where where do your thoughts come from? Um, what's the seed of your thoughts? And uh, technically, I think the, the the classical answer is that it's the the, the seed is the ego, uh, and you can analyze this for yourself. Um, if you sit and you blank your thoughts, you know, like you, you know, if you just look at your thoughts and go, okay, thoughts think. Uh, generally, you get your mind does a kind of deer in the headlights thing, and you just kind of stop thinking <laughs> temporarily. Uh, hmm. But then, if you watch for the moment a thought comes back, uh, that thought almost always springs off your ego it's some personal experience or some reflection of yourself um i, I did this for ages mm. and and i found that every single thought that came unbidden uh, out of out of that silence had some uh, was born from a relationship of of my ego uh the but mm-hmm. but then i found that in fact this wasn't actually the case when i went into creative realms uh, I could come out of that silence and avoid my ego and springboard straight into some creative process that had nothing to do with myself. Um, some story or some image or, or something I could... I, uh, so I think maybe a creative process, uh, if, if, you, if you're 
careful enough with your awareness, you can, uh, yeah, you can sidestep the ego and and have thoughts that come straight from silence uh, directly into creative process, uh, which is really interesting. And and um, yeah, if uh, if if you're ever looking for some some kind of inspirational creative nugget, um, then that that's a really good way to try and uh, sort of jumpstart inspiration. Uh, yeah, so who, who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting question. Yes, <laughs> the eternal question. Yeah. Well, uh, and, and there are other... In an hour, that's it, oh. yeah. Um, yeah, there, you have there, some final words. <laughs> well, so, so there, there are these other approaches, like uh, in in uh, a lot of schools of Hinduism, uh, they have this idea that that you are not the actor, um, you are okay. not the you are not the doer. Um, the doer is is you know divine consciousness or God or whichever uh, way of describing it you want to use, uh, and and this is a really interesting idea uh, because uh, to me it sort of cuts through this old uh, dualism uh, between determinism and free will uh, we, we, we really like to have this idea that we have free will and that we are free in our choices uh, but if you look at it from this other point of view uh, you have no free will whatsoever and your attempt to put free will on top of your actions causes a kind of distress uh, because you can't always mimic what it is that you're doing uh, with, with, with an overlay of will uh, often your actions don't accord with your intention or with your will. Uh, yeah, so again, you just have this perspective that can just cut through that that disparity between your actions and your intention and your will. Uh, you can put that on uh, outside of yourself and and concentrate on the the watcher, the the subject instead of the object. Uh, and that, in a roundabout way, is a similar way of practicing this idea of. Who am I? Uh, and then again, you have the opposite technique, which is to, like we use in this temple, which is that you are only your actions. Um, and you, uh, if, if you cut out everything else, uh, then again, you can create a, a sense of freedom and, and detach yourself from the common way of looking at who, who, this question of who am I? You know, am I my past? Am I my uh, cultural background? Am I my circumstances? Blah, blah, blah. You can just... Uh, you can just put a line underneath it and say, well, I'm just going to consider myself to be my actions. Uh, and in that way, I can free myself from all this other stuff. Uh, from a certain perspective, I do have complete control of my own actions. Uh, I can create these practices whereby I make a, an intention to fulfill certain actions and then complete that intention. And in this way, I can create this little bubble of absolute freedom. And then I can just roll that bubble through my life and that will create... Uh, a life of uh, freedom and a side effect of happiness. Hmm. It's good. <laughs> what the? Uh, thanks, thanks for your time and sharing the wisdom and. Uh, continuing your practice there so others can yeah i, I would call it wisdom <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that's because you're exceptionally humble <laughs> no 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 not at all uh 
Yeah, I, I don't, I don't consider it wisdom because that that doesn't fit into my definition of what wisdom is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I certainly gain a lot from hearing the way your mind works because you you have such a unique mind. I, I don't know anybody who who thinks quite like you do and has the, this depth and, and range of perspective. This this curious way of looking at the world so yeah from for me it's it seems like wisdom well i'm glad well i'm happy for you to describe <laughs> it as apparent wisdom <laughs> what would you call it just perspective yeah that, yeah i just call it perspective uh, all right well thanks for sharing your perspective yeah anytime uh yeah <laughs> And yeah, thanks. Thanks for hanging out and uh, chatting, and you know uh, your questions as as one sided as they were. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'll stop the recording there. A beautiful thought. Thanks for joining us there. Now, I think it is really interesting to try this meditation technique or this mindfulness awareness technique. Like when things happen to us, or maybe we experience pain, like right now. I did some calf lifts yesterday, and I'm still kind of sore in my calves. I can feel that. I don't necessarily have an aversion to that feeling of soreness. And we might look at things in, in our life, these experiences, our emotions, We might feel uncomfortable in in some moment. Even when we sit down to meditate, we might be in a rush to get through with it. And we can observe it, or we can even perhaps analyze or take a step back from it, be a little more objective, or ask what is interesting about this sensation. Even a sensation which might be pleasurable, we can observe it and start to take a step back, not necessarily be so attached to it. Interesting. How far do you want to pursue that? I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> but it is a, an exercise that gives you a different view, a different perspective of your own mind, of your own sensations. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everybody who shares this on social media, shares it with your friends. It seems like <laughs> a few people have been binge listening. My friend Anna sent me a message the other day saying she she's enjoying this and just listened to, I don't know how many, maybe 20 episodes in a row. And so, so <laughs> if you're out there binge listening, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Pumping up my download numbers so I know that people are enjoying what I'm doing and I hope you go on and, and share it with friends who, who also listen a lot and, and enjoy it and experience a different aspect of life. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Oh, 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 oh,
Oh, oh, oh.